Hello, and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sports at 590 The Fan. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday, except Wednesday this week, 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your guest host, Blake Murphy, filling in for William Liu and Alex Wong. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday this week. There's no show Wednesday because of the Jays game. And then Will's back Friday. I get to set up the draft over the course of the week. Will gets to knock it down on Friday, assuming they don't trade the number 33 pick. That would be a really deflating Friday show for Will. Uh, hey, let's break down the pick they dealt. A uh, lot of fun guests this week. Sam Bassini is going to come on on draft day to help us tee up Raptors options at 33 in the draft landscape overall. Jama Malalela, former Raptors assistant coach, Raptors 905 coach, the guy who ran their draft workouts, and the guy who just won another ring with the Golden State Warriors, uh, joins us tomorrow. Today, we've got Wes Brown, who's the Canadian scout and president of the Monday Morning Scouting Report. And before we get to all those good guests, we have Samson Folk, writer and host at Raptors Republic. Samson, welcome. Oh, man, this is quite an intro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Just kicking back, getting ready to talk some hoops. This I've never had anybody do the Always Sunny intro for me, so that's very special. I enjoy that. That's a, a radio only because it's uh, it can't go out on the YouTube. So apologies to anyone listening on YouTube who doesn't know what Samson's talking and blushing about. Uh, I also assume they can't see Samson. So that's a little always sunny for you. It is uh, going to be sunny in Las Vegas in a couple weeks, Samson. We have a summer league schedule for the Toronto Raptors. I didn't anticipate bringing this up with you, but we have the schedule now. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, the Raptors will... Uh, of course, participate in Las Vegas Summer League. They will play July 9th, 12th, 13th, and 15th, and then depending on how they do, the 16th or the 17th. Obviously, we don't know which fun prospects are on which team yet, but the Raptors play Philly, Chicago, Utah, Miami, and then TBD based on how they've done. Samson, break it all down for us. What place do the Summer Raptors finish in? They get Raleigh Alkins and they they win it all. That's my prediction. Wow, probably. Raleigh Alkins again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Raptors seven oh two going back to the back to the well with Raleigh Alkins. Uh, Samson, it's great to have you on. In seriousness, um, you've been doing some great work over at Raptors Republic for the last few years and for draft season, especially your podcasts with Francis Adu and Evan Gualberto, uh, teeing up the draft from a Raptors perspective. Very very helpful as we catch up ahead of Thursday. Before we get into the draft stuff, though, we've had a little bit now to sit with the results of the NBA Finals. Golden State Warriors beat the Boston Celtics. Do you think that you've learned anything or taken anything away from this year's postseason overall as it pertains to the Raptors? Yeah, defense continues to ramp up in the NBA, and this was an undercurrent at first, but now it feels like an overwhelming tidal wave that's kind of sweeping across the league. You can't really play weak defenders in the NBA. And if they are weak, they have to be so overwhelmingly positive on offense to kind of offset that. And the Raptors are following that trend as best they can. Of course, they, they have some weak defenders on the roster, or maybe some neutral guys. But to watch how Golden State and Boston both kind of grind it out, play these complex schemes they're diverse they switch it up all the time they're versatile and they're gritty too all of them just watching teams play like that as it's developed over the past couple of years when golden state kind of took the roof off of offense with kevin durant and now to see 
Of course, that team was really good at defense too. <laughs> but now to see grittier teams make the finals and to see the the aesthetic of even just driving to the rim or trying to get loose on perimeter actions change, the Raptors kind of shrinking the floor with length and trying to target that market inefficiency, let's say, is pretty interesting. I think that's probably the the most notable takeaway I have, if I just had one. I also look at some of the teams that had success in the postseason. This isn't universal, but it does seem like defense is getting more difficult, and the teams who are able to maintain some level of continuity, at least in their, their top guys or top rotation pieces, stand to gain from that because it's hard. To, we've seen this a lot with the Raptors the last couple of years. It's hard to get a guy up to speed on their on their system. It's hard to get a guy... It's hard to get a guy to a spot where Nick Nurse is comfortable playing him late in the game for the reasons you just outlined. Um, as we head into the Raptors offseason, do you personally put a bit more premium on on that rotation continuity, knowing what we know about how defense is being played and what goes into a good defense? Yeah, that's that's interesting because there's always like the the cost analysis or whatever, but Chris Boucher and Thaddeus Young are the guys with bird rights and the Raptors trying to maintain that rotation. They were also the two big plus minus winners for the Raptors. And it was something that started, I don't know, around the beginning of December when I was on your, uh, well, let's couch, let's say at that <laughs> point in time. But Chris Boucher turned it around. He he, he played incredible defense. The, the scheme that the Raptors play kind of absolves him of a lot of the issues of his defense and makes uh, the big great things about his defense much more impactful. And Thaddeus Young was just such a clever mover within the defense too. And they obviously both bring quite a bit offensively, but considering they have bird rights and trying to bring those guys back, I think is a really great thing to go for. And as far as valuing the continuity, as far as that goes, I think that's where you do it. Keep your intelligent lengthy guys and try and let them compete especially just at the back end of the rotation neither of those guys is starting I, I don't know about chris because you know john hollinger released his what is it the board's metric for the yes. athletic and it said 19.8 million dollars per year is the expected value i, I will I don't take think chris, the under with yeah. some level of confidence yeah but i I kind of figured, I was like, well, I don't think they'll combine for more than like $25 million together. That wasn't something I expected. But as long as the prices don't get too crazy, I think that you have the the capability with bird rights and, you know, the vibes. Both those guys <laughs> seem interested in Toronto and, the, you know, great guys by all accounts. So that would be cool. I think they have the means to pay the guys to keep that kind of talent in-house, to keep running this defense, which has had very high highs and very low lows. I mean... You started out the playoffs with what, like 147 offensive rating for the 76ers, <laughs> and then they brought it down to like 92 for one game, and then it went back up to 120. And so that that you talked about consistency, making sure to describe Golden State and Boston. And so the Raptors have they've shown the ceiling; they just kind of have to paper over the floor, I think. Yeah, and so when we look at what the Raptors' offseason could look like, you're looking at maybe this is using rough numbers, but maybe 30, 32 million for Boucher, Young, a mid-level exception target, and any kind of roster filler at the back end, whether that's Justin Champagne, whether that's guaranteeing Armani Brooks, taking a flyer on another undrafted free agent. Um, so you, you probably like your chances of keeping both of those guys and using the mid-level still. This is, I guess, semi-related to continuity. And continuity is not the right term, but uh, maybe kind of skill and role fit 
everyone has seemed to assume the Raptors will want to address the center position this offseason. Um, you know, I, I don't know that in the draft at number 33, you're looking at any centers that could step in and play right away with any level of confidence. When you look at some of the free agent or trade targets, what stands out to you about a center skill set that you would look at them and be like, yes, they could fit in the Raptors defense or by the midway point of the year, I could see them having found their role in this setup. I think you want a big guy who at least has some semblance of mobility and Hartenstein is probably a really popular selection (laughs) in the Raptors fan base. I remember you and I were doing a podcast like two years ago saying that the Raptors should target him. And I'm pretty sure he signed with the Nuggets for like, you know, a camp deal or something like that during. And he was one of the best drop defenders by the second spectrum uh, statistics this year. Oddly enough, so is Pascal Siakam, but the Raptors typically don't want to just spam Pascal in the pick and roll actions and they like to keep him off ball and sort of that that rover space. But you probably want to identify a guy who not only helps defend some of your most popular schematic things, but somebody who helps diversify your defense. Because being able to throw drop coverage just to get through the regular season for like, hey, a six-minute stretch here, or even something as conservative as like a three-minute stretch to throw something different at offenses, the opposing offenses, I think is something that's very, very important. And it wasn't as important this year, although Boston did play some drop and Golden State did play some drop. But in the past couple of years, drop defense has loomed large for some of the best teams in the league, just funneling guys into that prove-it space from like 17 feet where you're breathing down their neck and they have to hit over a big is something that's so valuable. So I think more than anything, even more than a guy who rolls to the rim well, like a Mitchell Robinson or something like that, finding a guy that you'd be very comfortable with kind of sitting back in pick and roll coverage would be the best thing if you're looking for a center in particular. The one name on the draft board that kind of fits that description, and he might not be there at 33, but once we get out of the lottery this year, it seems very wide open. Uh, Walker Kessler from Auburn is... I don't know. I, I He was a guy that I didn't like, like swooping in to watch the odd game. And then you dig in deeper on his defense and there's almost no way he's not a capable drop coverage guy uh, protecting the rim. So maybe that's a name to keep an eye out for if he slides a little bit on draft night. So Samson, before we get to draft specifics, you keep Boucher and Young at reasonable prices. You keep in mind what you just said about hunting for a center. Who is the ideal target for you on the market, whether that's using the mid-level exception or kind of in what we call the redraft candidate bin, where it's the, you know, the Stanley Rondé macaw kind of shopping with guys who the shine has worn off, but maybe you can get them uh, inexpensively. Yeah. I brought up Hartenstein yeah. and I think he's, he's such a great example of, you know, who knows what his price will be. But you've got to find but... this year's Hartenstein is, is the thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's exactly it. And as far as bigs who operate with that kind of punch that aren't really known yet, that's a tough one. I I think that the past couple of years saw a lot of players like, you know, Malik Monk or Jordan Poole or um, Jalen Noel kind of sitting on the end of benches and not getting a lot of run. And maybe that was the time to hunt and Hartenstein also fit into that. But I think it's a lot tougher to identify those guys this past year because teams have been a lot better at identifying them. At least that's that's just my read watching the league or maybe maybe I've fallen off or something like that. <laughs> but uh, 
you probably go for one of the the high-end mid-level exception guys like Mitchell Robinson or Isaiah Hartenstein. If you're gonna spend it on a big, I think you like you have to be comfortable paying the mid-level exception. It's not gonna be crazy. It's not gonna be super, super expensive. And that's what you try to do. And maybe you just look that you're gonna get a for sure guy with the MLE at center or whatever you end up doing with it. And you bank on the progression from guys like Fred getting healthy again. Pascal hopefully continues to build a three point the three point shot back up after his all NBA candidacy and and well, his selection actually and and you hope that everything else stays the same with his game and then Scotty getting much better and, and OG depending on how they integrate his game his wants his needs into the offense like is it still a lot of the post up stuff is he getting more uh, time above the break all that kind of stuff um, I think you go for something sure with the MLE rather than like a swing. Most teams don't use the biannual exception, which they have. I think like three teams used it last year. But uh, yeah, I would go for one of the more sure center guys. Maybe that sounds like really boring and dumb because they went with Baines and that didn't work out well at all. But I think you would try and go for something sure rather than swinging on a center because I think it's a pretty likely that Nick Nurse wouldn't have much patience for that, if you get my meaning. Yes, I certainly do. Um, you mentioned Fred Van Vliet's health, though, and the other way they could go with that MLE. I, I look if if a really really good three four type lands in their lap with the MLE, I don't think they'll pivot away from having infinite wings. But they're probably in a vacuum going center or backcourt help perimeter help that that leans perimeter offense is there anyone out there in that tier of guy that you could look at and be like well maybe you're okay moving off of gary trent if you know it's not extension talks because he's not extension eligible but those early talks about a next deal don't go well or someone who can complement him and fred van vliet to help keep fred van vliet's minutes and overall workload down um like the the one name i've seen get a lot of buzz early but enough buzz that he's going to price himself way out of your market is tyus jones i I don't think the raptors can really get in the mix there Um, but is there anyone who strikes you a little lower down the price tier if you're willing to if like you said if gary trent jr wants a bigger role if he wants like a big bag that the raptors aren't willing to give or they have they ideally in their minds have that money allocated elsewhere for the future then that all gets like way more interesting you could even you could try and go to minnesota or something like that you know send him home and then and by the way i'm not like trying to send gary out the door no it's maybe like jalen noel and one of vando or j mac like jane mcdaniels right maybe there's a package that kind of brings back that punch as a scoring guard, but also brings back that long wingy guy. And I think that that's maybe something that the Raptors could look at provided they're in that situation. Maybe they, maybe they're totally ready to just pay Gary and maybe Gary's ready to get paid by them and that all shakes out. But I think that would be something really interesting to target. You can try and swing for the fences. I know prior to last season, Malik Monk said that nobody reached out to him except the Lakers and the latent ability stuff with Malik Monk and how alluring so many of his talents are. I think that they're just as alluring now as they were prior to last season. And if the Raptors want to try and get that guy who will punch the weak side, hit some threes, give you some off the dribble juice, he's probably one of the guys who's gettable you know, in the MLE and maybe they could even split it up depending on what he commands. But, uh, and, and all the personal stuff aside, I don't know what the Raptors have with him as far as that goes, but I think he's a really interesting guy to consider. 
And uh, yeah, that, that's mostly what I would think about is the Raptors are in a position where, you know, OG is in the trade rumors because OG is a very, very alluring young wing in the league. A lot of teams want him. But if they plan on keeping OG, which I'm, I'm sure they do, then Gary Trent Jr. and the complications of his funky contract mean that if they want to diversify the roster and kind of get, you know, or even just kind of load up for a superstar, try their best at that. He he might be the most realistic piece going forward just because of the contract situation. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And some of the names you, you outlined there are, are interesting. There's also, we could get into a million trade targets as well. Um, you know, PJ Washington would be a guy who yeah. doesn't, seem to have uh, producer JR behind the glass is celebrating right now. He wants PJ Washington. Um, he's a guy that by several accounts, the Hornets maybe don't see as a long, long-term piece. And he would certainly fit what the Raptors do and look for with a little bit of extra offensive punch. But again, it depends how, how down the road are you willing to go with a team full of six, eight, power forward slash center types. Um, okay, let's pivot to the draft because the NBA draft is Thursday night. The Raptors do have the number 33 pick and you've done a fair amount of prep for this. You've gone through a couple of podcasts now with some very smart draft people. I know you're in the NBA draft Twitter group chats, even though you're not an NBA draft Twitter guy. Fishy. I don't know. I don't know how you scammed an invite into those. Uh, you're not out there at Summerlee. You, you wasn't with us in the gym, Samson. Uh, but... <laughs> As you go through that process, as you talk to these people, as you consume the content and then dive into the film yourself, what has been, and this doesn't have to be this year specifically, this can be over the course of the last couple of years going through the same draft process. What's been the biggest change in your philosophy or perspective on scouting through consuming and talking to so much draft Twitter people? First of all, I'm running out of guys to talk to in the public sphere because they all get hired by NBA teams. You know, we're running out of guys to talk to, Blake, as far as, you know, public stuff. But how have they changed it? I think probably trying to identify outlier skills and kind of skirting the idea of the generalist, skirting the idea of the safe selection, especially as you get towards the back end of the draft, that you have to be able to do stuff at the NBA level, at least one thing, at least a couple things that... A coach says, hey, you know, we're putting you in the game to do this. And you can't be milk toast in your approach. And those aren't the type of picks that typically ever turn out well. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is looking for these outlier skills, which has made the scouting process, not just in talking to people, but in my own film work, much easier because I'm not watching the NCAA all year. I'm not gauging the competition level, which takes a lot of hours and a lot of work to do. Like big shout out to scouts for doing it. But if you start looking for outlier skills that really pop, then the competition level is not as big a thing to kind of take care of. That's something that anybody can tune in, watch some film, not highlights, but film and see how often this stuff is popping off. And so looking for that stuff might sound like, yeah, obviously you should be looking for that <laughs> stuff. But uh, I'm not looking for a guy who's, you know, is just kind of nice on the floor. You You have to look for something that's really dominant because it's not that you have to be able to do something well at the collegiate level. You have to be able to do it at an elite level to be sure that it's going, you know, to even be half sure that's going to translate to the NBA. It's so tough 
to do things against NBA defenders or to defend against really great NBA offensive players. So I think that's mostly what I'm looking for, just standout skills. And I know that's a horrible answer because it's not a horrible answer. It. It's uh, I mean, you could visualize it, right? It's like, it's one thing to sit down and watch Duke, North Carolina and be like, yeah, that guy pops. Obviously that guy's a really good player. It's another to be like, okay, well, how does this guy's, first step and handle translate to the next level when, you know, spacing could be tighter with more length and stuff like that. It's helpful. And you can do this statistically too. One of my favorite things to do over at uh, the Bartorvik site each draft year is look at the guys who finish well at the rim without a lot of assisted baskets and can knock down some threes. And that tends to give you a pretty good list of uh, guys you could identify as offensive talent defensively we don't have as much but you can look at things like defensive box plus minus steal rate block rate and start to narrow it down from there because like you said we are i mean right now i'm as i'm more baseball than than basketball these last couple weeks but in general you're covering the raptors day to day over the course of the season it's not realistic for you to have the same depth of prospect knowledge as a handful of the draft twitter people or or sam vicini who that's his full-time job people like that so we need to have shortcuts and ways we can filter those lists down so yeah you just get into group chats and you <laughs> you know act parasocial and steal their takes and don't give them credit that's yeah that's the vibe that's yeah the move. exactly you have a giant spreadsheet with 12 of your draft twitter friends rankings in it and you average them out and then from there that's when you honestly that's been my process some years especially when the raptors don't have a high pick is you've got to be efficient with this stuff right if you won't if the raptors only have the 59 pick and you know they're gonna end up with the 59th pick and a couple undrafted guys it's not realistic to be like i'm gonna dive in on film on 120 guys during the pandemic i probably did that because there was nothing else to do um but most years you've got to come up with shortcuts and synthesizing information from other sources is a great way to do that you just need to credit those sources and uh, <laughs> and amplify their accounts and their work so that they can get proper credit for it and see the gains of it. But then again, that's how you end up losing guys to draft Twitter. So maybe this is your fault, Samson, for giving too much, uh, too much credit where it's due. Uh, and then we lose our people. Uh, okay. So you, you went through some of the, the philosophical stuff, the process there quickly. I know that after 15 or 20 in this draft, it's so wide open that it's not even worth pegging down guys draft ranges. Really? If they're fringe first round picks or early second picks of the guys who in your mind will have a chance to be there at 33. Give me your three favorite guys. Okay. So I, this guy, I find his game a little bit akin to Gary Trent jr. I'm not a huge comp guy, but watching a guy who's limited athletically kind of shake and move his way into jump shots, Patrick Baldwin Jr., who mm-hmm. was projected as a a top five guy before going to Milwaukee and and COVID and lingering ankle stuff, he shot 34% from the field. He shot 26% <laughs> from three. But you he's got quotes out the wazoo saying, I'm an elite shooter. And you know what? You watch, and this is why film is so great. I watch the film and I fall in love, dude. This guy is so wiggly for his size. He's got such a high release point. And he's got a really, it's not like the tightest handle. Marcus Smart would get into his body and and take it away, of course. So so would Kyle or Fred, right? It, Raptors fans will be well aware of that. But this is a guy who, if he's against like-sized players, 
He's going to shake them out of their shoes with a nice handle. He's so solid getting into his base of his jump shot, you know, from a dribble move or from taking like a jump step into it or anything like that. And he's a person I would kind of try and bet on as the upside swing. I think he's really interesting. He's like 6'9". He had only a 23-inch vertical at the combine, which to me... That blew my mind. I don't know how a guy with the fluidity and connection of his jump shot, how that doesn't translate to the steps. He's tanking the combine. For the Raptors, surely. And so, you know, this is where we're going with it. He would be super fun because not only, I don't want to echo the dogma of, you know, only 6'9 guys because Fred for so much of the season was realistically like the best player on the team. But he does fit this this ideology, this ethos of like play long guys and kind of let them figure it out, let their length do a lot of the work for them on defense. And he fits into that. Alondis Williams is the second guy, and he's kind of the opposite of Patrick Bolton Jr. He was really, really good for Wake Forest in college. He's not a shooter. That isn't the upside you're looking for, but this is also something that the Raptors might try and do because the Raptors have been taking these players and trying to turn them not just into, you know, shooters, but into three-level scorers like OG and Pascal. The scouting for the Raptors did a great job of identifying that they could grow in that way, but it's also tough to take a guy from being, you know, a little bit stiff and a little bit you know limited with the handle into suddenly bursting all over the floor pulling up everywhere and everything like that it took pascal years and alondis williams is a great athlete he has a good handle you're just waiting on that jumper to come around so that he could dictate that he gets closeouts and watching the raptors play philadelphia when if it wasn't precious or og opposite of pascal drawing doubles and getting the ball to them Nobody else was going to pump and drive and they would be limited to a jump shot or they would be, you know, ran off the line or something like that. And Alondis Williams, if he could ever get the jump shot to the point where he draws closeouts, that pump and drive, he would finish at the rim for the Raptors. He could feast off of Pascal and Fred, both top 10 in doubles drawn in the NBA. And there's a lot of room for a great athlete with a tight handle and a nose for the rim to kind of find room to punch gaps on the Raptors. I think that's really interesting. His okay, defense so, is a little bit worrying. Yeah. So yeah. Th- so you've given us a longer guard with some offensive bursts and defensive question marks, who's old and from Milwaukee, and a longer forward who went to Milwaukee has less of that stuff <laughs> developed, but more of the tool stuff. Uh, I'd imagine the third guy that you're going to give me here is just the exact middle ground, the exact average prospect. I'll go with David Roddy, and this is tied into the pop stuff because I have no idea. if Watching David Roddy guard, I struggle to see him succeed at it in the NBA. But watching a guy who's like 6'5 and 260 with, you know, a pretty tight (laughs) handle get downhill, I'm like, yeah, that guy will score in the NBA. And hit threes. Yeah, 44% on like four attempts per game. He was, yeah, he was cashing them in. So I'll tell you what, if I could pick any one thing to happen in this draft from a purely selfish perspective, it's David Roddy, undrafted free agent for Raptors 905, (laughs) because that guy will put up 25 a game in the G League with that mix of offensive skills and that size. Like, Yabu was a really good G League player. He never had a chance in the NBA, but he went overseas and ended up having a pretty good career. Uh, I don't know how Roddy's mobility and defense are going to translate either, but he would be a very, very fun uh, 
experiment, we'll say, uh, developmentally. Yeah, it was Pierre Jackson, right, who never really got leagued but was putting up like 30 a game. Yeah, Pappy Jack, yeah. And then once he did get leagued, he got hurt immediately. Man. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough to make the yeah. league. Him, man. And, him and Russ Smith. Russ Smith out there setting records yeah. for, for points in a game um, yep. in the G League. Uh, Samson, Bobby Webster's going to speak to media tomorrow at 1230. Say you had, this is a thing J.D. Bunkus does all the time on the Fan Morning Show. You've got the truth serum. You could give it to Bobby Webster for one question ahead of the draft. Has to be draft specific. What are you asking him? Uh, first thing, it's not. I'm not asking him for his birthday. Apologies to Emma, but <laughs> I tell you this. Much. I already know it. You could just give me the truth serum instead. <laughs> I uh, I'm asking him if he really believes, or actually, I'm asking him if he believes that his six nine comment was like the best piece of propaganda in basketball of all time. <laughs> it has carried weight, dude. Uh, it sure has. Uh, that's a good one. I, I wonder if anyone will, I don't think anyone will frame it that way, but he's definitely going to get asked about vision six, nine uh, tomorrow. Samson, thank you for taking the time, man. Keep up all the great work. Um, Raptors Republic. Obviously you've got the podcast up with Evan, with Francis, uh, your mailbag stuff, anything else in the shoot before Thursday's draft? Uh, I, I, there'll be like a group chat type episode out okay. on Raptors Republic YouTube channel. That's about it. Awesome. I, I love- want to talk to Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I didn't ask for that one. I asked for the always sunny one, but that was, that was all Derek behind the glass. That's a great one. Um, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, keep up the great work and we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks brother. I'll see you. That was Samson folk of Raptors Republic. Yes, he was uh, sleeping on my couch at one point during this season. Uh, you can follow him at Sam Folk with an extra K at the end on Twitter and find all his work at Raptors Republic on the podcast side, on the YouTube side. Uh, Raptors Republic continues to churn out the good stuff, not just people like William Liu. A lot of content there still to this day. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's Canadianize this draft. Let's talk Ben Matherin. Let's talk Shaden Sharp. Let's talk Global Jam. With the guy who knows Canadian draft prospects better than just about anyone, Wes Brown. That's next on the Raptors show with William Liu with Blake Murphy on Sports at 590 The Fan. Great daily gambling advice from JD, Blake, and Alish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show. I'm Blake Murphy filling in for William Liu and Alex Wong today, Tuesday and Thursday, as we set up 2022 NBA draft, the Raptors holding pick number 33. Things can change between now and Thursday. They've explored things that might include a change, but nothing, nothing with a lot of steam behind it just yet. Anyway, uh, you'll surely hear lots between now and Thursday night's draft. We'll be here to walk you through it. We just talked to Samson Folk from Raptors Republic, setting up the Raptors side of the offseason and what they might be targeting in the draft. Everyone's assumption for years has been, well, of course, the Raptors would like the Canadian guy in the draft. Never happened until Delano Banton came along as much as they might like Canadian guys in the drafts, it's not a lock 
that they'll draft them in part because there are just too many good Canadians now and they're going too high in the draft where the Raptors don't have picks and you can't draft them all. So let's sort through the Canadians in this draft, two of whom are probably going in the lottery and a couple more who could get drafted later on. One who has been tied to the Raptors at least, but uh, we'll get into all of that with the Canadian scout and president of the Monday morning scouting report, Wes Brown. Wes, how are you, buddy? Good, man. It's been a minute. How are you? I'm doing well. It's nice to have you on. Uh, how exciting is this week for you? Because I know some of these names, like Ben Matherin and Shaden Sharp and Caleb Houston, these are guys that since the very first time you and I talked a handful of years ago when you first started doing this, you've been tracking those guys since then. This is almost, it feels like maybe I'm off by a year, but this is the first cohort of guys you were tracking through their entrance into high school all the way to the NBA draft. Yeah, yeah, that's probably right. I mean, I can remember Shaden in grade nine, right? So, yeah, it's 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 been a while. It's interesting to see their development and how, you know, in this specific draft, guys have gone through really different routes to get to the same point, you know, which is the 2022 NBA draft. So, um, finally having time to settle down now and actually focus on it, you know, do some interviews, talk about the players, uh, because, you know, it's just been a, a hustle until now, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about those players. Let's talk about them individually. Uh, ben Matherin out of Arizona, he's at the top of the list of Canadians on most big boards. You could flip a coin with him and Shaden Sharp. Um, but Matherin seems like he has the most projectability of any of the Canadians in the draft. And what I mean by that is, you know, not only does he have a good chance of translating, but if things go the way that the team drafting him will hope it goes. If things go to, you know, let's say a 70th percentile outcome, uh, there's a real chance Ben Matherin is one of the best players from this draft. Do you feel similarly about that? And what are you looking for from Matherin as he takes the next step? Yeah. I mean, he's one of the safest picks in the draft, right? It's kind of a weird draft where all those guys at the top kind of have some type of hole that will scare NBA teams. Um, and Matherin, obviously at his size and athletic ability and his build, with his shooting ability. And look, I know he wasn't the greatest defender this year at Arizona, but I've seen him defend. I know he can defend. Um, so him as a, as a minimum three and D prospect that probably looks physically like a starter, you know, and if you look at the types of guys, the Celtics throw out there, he'd fit right in. Um, and, and he has much more upside as well. Uh, I know in his workouts that he's been having in Montreal and stuff, you know, he's got shot creation ability and he's got more to his game than, he really showed at Arizona. So um, I think he's a really safe pick in that top 10. I think he's got a really high floor. His shooting translates, his, his length and athleticism translates. And I think there's more upside there as a potential secondary ball handler, shot creator, things like that, to end up being a guy like uh, Chris Middleton or Jalen Brown down the road. The thing I've been most impressed about with Matherin, and I don't watch as, as much Arizona as you do, but in the U19s, when his shot wasn't there, he was able to impact the game a lot in a lot of different other, other different ways. And, and that's where that was the tournament where I, I kind of, you know, had my eyes open to just what the defensive upside could be here. Um, I know statistically, you know, it, it's harder to project defense and, and he didn't have the steal and block rates we'd normally look at uh, to project. But again, like you said, six, 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 nine wingspan. Um, I would imagine he's going to fill out enough to probably be kind of like a combo wing. Um, if there's a concern for you about Matherin, is it 
on the defensive side of the ball, or is it just kind of where the offensive upside might be capped at? Yeah, you nailed it. It's, it's the offensive upside. I mean, look, I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but I think his range is pretty safely between like a starter and a star. Okay. Um, I don't know if he has the ball skills to ever be a, a superstar or the decision-making, you know, but we're really nitpicking here because, you know, he, he's going to be able to create his own shot. He's going to be able to make tough shots. Um, he's going to be able to play make off the bounce, especially attacking closeouts and things like that. And, you know, defensively, not being asked to do so much offensively like he was at Arizona in the NBA, he's going to have to and be able to defend and have to put much more into that, that defensive end. Um, and I, I've seen him do it in, in different areas, and you saw him in bursts at Arizona too. So I, I think it's just that his upside, maybe he's not going to be a superstar. Maybe he doesn't have the upside of, of a Chet Holmgren. But uh, can he be a star? Yes. That would be... Nice to see. Uh, And he's a guy who, you know, anytime a guy's been committed to the national program through his junior years, you start to think on what he might look like on the senior team uh, as well. Someone who we haven't seen with the junior program since I think the U16 Americas back in 2019 when he was just lethally efficient is Shaden Sharp. Shaden Sharp, who there were some questions about whether he'd enter the draft, he he obviously got to Kentucky midseason for a redshirt freshman year. Wasn't clear first if he'd be eligible and second if he would uh, return and play there or keep his name in the draft. But he's in. London, Ontario's on. 519 gets another NBA player to go with Jamal Murray and Michael Mulder. Um, people haven't seen Shaden Sharp in a while unless they've really been digging into uh, some of the high school circuit video. What can you tell us about Sharp's process to this point and your take on his decision to go pro instead of doing a year at Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, I think what happened really is once you're ranked number one by ESPN, <laughs> there's that intrigue there and you know how the NBA draft works. It's, it, it works. It's about upside, right? Yeah. And, and the upside is there. I mean, Shaden is an elite shot creator. He's an elite athlete. He's got all the footwork, you know, the natural footwork that he might have in the natural stroke that he might have has been kind of learned by Matherin, uh, for example, you know, so, and in his athleticism attacking the rim and just, you see that star quality in his offensive skill set, And, you know, it was on full display in, in the EYBL um, and, and in his senior season at dream city. And to be honest, it was there in grade nine. I mean, I can remember him playing senior basketball and uh, one time as a, as a junior, a grade nine, 10 type player, he had a putback dunk that was just unbelievable. He had like a 20-point half. You could just see in flashes he had it and then really put it together in his senior year, both um, on the circuits and, and in high school. And so, you know, the, the NBA guys don't want to miss on a guy who's potentially a superstar. And he kind of has that quality. So, um, you know, obviously he made the right decision. I mean, it's always about the outcome with this, and he's going to be a top-ten pick. I don't know where he's going to go. You know, it sounds like there's a lot of interest in that four or five range. I think, you know, his floor is probably in the nine, 10 range, but they've obviously made the right decision because he, he is certainly going to be a lottery. Pick. I really don't want him to go to Sacramento at four. I know it's a little more money for him. I know it's great to get picked fourth over uh, a lower spot, but I look at a kid like that who 
the biggest questions are as the level of competition, the level of game speed picks up and which franchises have done well with player development. Uh, I don't want any player I like anywhere near Sacramento. I'm going through here. I'm like, which prospect do I like the least? That's the guy that can go to the Kings. Um, Let's go down further in the draft. There was another, there was a teammate of Ben Matherin's on that U19 team that I mentioned uh, in Caleb Houston. And at that time, it looked like he would be a potential first round pick um, with some length, with some shooting ability, with some, at least the the defensive instincts and effort um, to translate as an NBA role player. He's still in the draft, but he's now looking like a second round to undrafted kind of target. What's changed in Caleb Houston's profile that, Um, Either he's slow developmentally or or the league's just not as high on him as they were uh, prior to this past season. Well, I think it's kind of interesting because he was really a role guy at Montverde. When he was ranked as a top 10 guy, you know, on all all the ESPN things and probably as a projected draft pick as a lottery guy as well, he was really a floor spacer, you know, and they had so much talent on that team that he had the time, especially against high school athletes as well, he had the time to get his shot off did a really good job uh, just being versatile, switching, um, and, and you know, had some ability at attacking closeouts and things like that. And then as he got to Michigan, I think they had a younger team. They didn't really have the elite creators on that team. And Caleb still, Caleb still needs some athletic development, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, with the ball as a primary guy, he lacks a little wiggle. He's not great with dribble penetration. He's got to improve as a primary guy. Um, but as a role guy... He's always been a great shooter. Uh, it's just, you know, and you saw it with Canada too. If he was trying to, you know, create his own shot and stuff like that, he's just not that fluid. Um, so I think he kind of took a step back because he didn't really have the elite creators. And, you know, just talking to some people, I think at the NBA level, having those types of guys along with him, just improving his shot, improving his athleticism and physical profile uh, will help him really carve out a niche as as a shooter in the league, I mean, for, for as much as his stock, you know, quote unquote dropped, he still shot 35.5 from three and averaged 10.1 points per game. Like at Michigan, I mean, it's not that bad after his first year. It's just that he was so highly touted coming out uh, that, you know, it seems like a drop off, drop off, but he, he wasn't really ever other than on team Canada, like that primary guy anywhere else he'd been. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone else in this draft from the Canadian side that you're interested to see if they get picked or, or where they land for summer league or G league or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, look, you, 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 you talk about the Raptors a lot. I yeah. mean, Andrew Nemhard is in the mix there. Uh, he's, he's a really, you know, strong rising name. So he could end up, end up, you know, with the Raptors. And I think his draft range is probably in the 25 to 35 range. Um, he's, he's, He's really skyrocketing, actually, I think, on boards. And teams really like him because of the certainty that he's going to be able to help a team with. Uh, and then Abu Kajab, a name that, you know, maybe most people don't know, played at Boise State, played five years, started his career at Oregon. Kind of like a six 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 seven Swiss Army knife, hmm. bulldog mentality, does it all on the floor. Not the most refined as a shooter or scorer, for example. You know, he shot 30% from three but finds a way to impact winning every game I've seen him in, you know, and he's not going to need the ball to succeed. And I think at the NBA level, that kind of stuff translates, especially because he's going to get more open looks and you know, that that shot will improve a little, you know, maybe he can become a 35% shooter, but the other things he does on the floor are so valuable. 
So he's really a sleeper that I really like. Yeah, he stood out to me a lot in that game against Memphis in the the 8-9 matchup in the tournament. I know he didn't shoot particularly efficiently there, but the motor level and the... I know he's a fifth-year senior, so uh, of course you don't want to go out uh, at any time as a senior, but I thought I thought that he really popped in that one. Uh, someone who won't be in the draft, Leonard Miller, his decision to go the Ignite route, what did you think of that decision? I mean, I, I thought it. I thought it was a good decision. Oddly enough, like I remember him scoring uh, 59 points in a game early in the season, <laughs> and after that game, I called Rod Strickland in the car on the way back from Fort Erie and just said, like, this is the kid. I mean, he's you know he's 6'10", he's got all the tools. In grade 12, out of the guys I saw, and I didn't really see Shaden because he was in, in Arizona in his grade 12 year, but out of the guys I've seen, he was the best guy in grade 12, especially given his size, athleticism, and offensive skill set. You know, guys like that just don't exist. So he's kind of got that unicorn potential. And, you know, I mean, I didn't see many guys traveling throughout the U.S. that have his type of skill set as well, you know, so... He's really the top of the top. One of the services in America even ranked him as the number two prospect, you know, North America wide, right? So I think he's going to a place where he's going to get a lot better. He's going to get used to the NBA speed of the game or at least close to it. Uh, He's going to get used to playing against men. Uh, He's going to get NBA development and an NBA offense to play in. And he's going to get tons of opportunity to play through mistakes. Um, And look, I don't know if, He's going to be ready to impact an NBA team after one year there, but he got so much better this year from kind of a raw skill set to, you know, he's not polished, but he can do a lot of things now. You know, he's, he's got some feel for the game. He's got shot making ability. He's got all these tools. So I think it's a good decision because they'll maximize what he can do and we'll see how, how ready he is in a year. But I always projected him as a lottery type talent and, you know, it didn't seem like that was going to happen this year. So Let's see after a year of Ignite if he can do it. And if anyone's curious to get a look at Leonard Miller, he's on the Team Canada roster for Global Jam, which goes July 5th to 10th, put on by Canada Basketball and Sportsnet. Uh, You can go to basketball.ca for ticket info and location info. Uh, Will and I will be out there at some point checking out those games, the men's and women's side. Uh, Wes, before we let you go quickly, uh, Global Jam prospect, you're most looking forward to getting to watch July 5th to 10th if you're in town. Yeah, I mean... Look, like you said, there's there's top end talent like that. Marcus Carr will probably probably play a big role on the team. But I mean, there's really intriguing guys like Addison Patterson, who started his career at Oregon, one of the top rated recruits in North America, and probably the number one guy in his class in Canada. Was like, you know, touted as a surefire NBA player. Went from Oregon to Nevada to JUCO, and now he's I think just sitting around. So it'll be really interesting to see how he looks and really how these pieces all fit on a team of guys who are high major talents, guys who are playing CCAA like Frank Mitchell at Humber, right? So it's a really interesting mix of guys that have come together from all kind of levels of basketball. That's great. I really appreciate it. Hope to catch up with you in person out at Global Jam July 5th to 10th. Wes, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. I know this is a crazy week for you. Keep up all the great work at the Monday Morning Scouting Report uh, and all the great work in general. Um, People can follow you at Wes Blair Brown. uh, Indispensable tool for keeping up with Canadian prospects uh, in the NCAA at the high school level. Uh, Wes, thanks again, buddy. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you, buddy. As Wes Brown, scout and president at the Monday Morning Scouting Report. Again, one of the leading analysts and voices when it comes to following these Canadian prospects uh, from as early as grade nine all the way through up to the NBA and 
fun as a, a friend of Wes to kind of see this group that I associate as his first class of guys that he's uh, kind of scouted from the start of high school all the way up. Uh, we talked about Ben Matherin and Shaden Sharp a little earlier. Keep an eye out at sportsat.ca this week. Oren Weisfeld has a feature coming on Ben Matherin that might be up right now. I know it's going up today at some point. I haven't read it yet. Uh, if if so, uh, Michael Grange will also have a feature on Shaden Sharp coming tomorrow at sportsat.ca. And Holly McKenzie will have a series of Global Jam features up at sportsnet.ca this week, teeing up that tournament, which again, July 5th to 10th, Canada Basketball and Sportsnet putting that on. You can go to basketball.ca for ticket information. Loaded rosters on the men's and women's side for Canada. Those games should be a lot of fun. And as we found out earlier today, they don't overlap with any Toronto Raptors summer league games, except potentially one on July 9th, depending on how the final schedule shakes out uh, at Global Jam. But uh, Toronto Raptors will play at summer league July 9th, 12th, 13th, 15th. Uh, those times scattered all throughout the days down in Vegas. Uh, three of those at the Cox Pavilion, one at the big Thomas and Mack Center. If you're a fan going down, though, the Cox Pavilion side's a better side. It's uh, more intimate. You get a closer look at stuff. Uh hear a lot more it's just a much more intimate way to watch a game um that does it for us today i've been blake murphy guest hosting you've been listening to the raptor show on sports at 590 the fan make sure you find the raptor show wherever you listen to your podcasts subscribe rate review in your review say oh the episodes with blake were so much better uh, we got to have more blake murphy tuesdays um as a reminder we stream live on sports at youtube channel and air live on sports at 360 monday to friday except for wednesday this week 2 to 3 p.m uh, i'm with you until will returns on friday thanks again to samson folk and Wes brown for joining us with their draft insight thanks to board producer Derek brandeo producer jr manitad and jennifer rolnick for helping us with the youtube stream i'm back tomorrow I'll be joined by a guy who's got a ring from the Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors as of last week, Jama Malalela, on the show tomorrow. We'll be back then on the Raptors show. I'm Blake Murphy, Sports at 590, the fan.